mice in a row Three blind mice, there they go Marching down the street, single file To a calypso beat all the while They're looking for the cat The cat that swallowed the rat They want to show that cat the attitude of three blind mice Give it a start <coughs> Hello dear listeners, uh, welcome to the next edition of the Odd Job Pod. Um, there's something a bit different about this Odd Job Pod, I have to say. Not least the fact that um, I think we're safe to say we are on holiday as a <laughs> podcast. Um, and uh, no, quite literally we are. But also, um, I can actually look straight into the whites of the eyes of my two co-hosts, Terry DeFellin and Graham Sibley, because we have, uh, we've joined back together um, in person for an in-person podcast. I mean, we were thinking of selling tickets to it, but, you know, we thought we'd just, uh, you know, we'd just fund it with an NFT or something like that instead, because that's what all the cool kids are doing these days. Um, but no, we are in person. I am no longer in Australia. We are not in the pub for once doing a podcast, which um, probably will explain the good sound quality. Um, and we're also going to be discussing a little bit of a hiatus for Bond as well, because... Uh, as you know, we've done the Dalton movies recently, and there's a bit of a break before the Bosnian, Bros, Bosnian, Brosnan movies in there. So we thought we'd kind of go into early '90s action films. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pleasure to see you both in person. Are you both well? I trust. Yes, extremely well. Yes, I am. I'm, I, it's just so good for us all to be in the same room together. How long has it been? Probably not as long as it has been for some bands that have split up <laughs> and then come back together it's again. It's still a long time, though. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could say that I moved to Australia due to creative differences of wanting to put a, <laughs> the, the different type of, you know, and you are just like this guy who keeps bringing up Pierce Brosnan's canon every single time, and we just can't, we can't be having that on here. Yeah. We've got to try and put as many barriers as we can in the way, and, and at least we got away with it this time. We've actually managed to get some films that just aren't anything to do with James Bond, and we've, we've just basically formed a blockade with them, haven't we? Yeah, indeed. I would like to also point out that this is the first time that we've been together since you've changed your views on Moonraker too. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> is this why you've allowed me back into the recording studio? <laughs> it's, it's why you were allowed back in the country. <laughs> yeah. The Odd Job Pod has influence in the highest yes. possible places. Well, I did go, you know, business or pleasure, and I was like, pleasure. And I was like, oh, pleasure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... We've obviously, you know, we've we've had a little bit of break since getting over the Daltons. Um, and we've been watching lots of other films. But Terry, you've also been experiencing Bond on the big screen as well. I have. I have. Uh, I mean, I'm sure listeners will be aware that thanks to the 60th anniversary celebrations, uh, they are releasing uh, the James Bond films in sequence every week over the course of this year. And I've been going along. I've been going uh, happily enough. I live relatively close to a, uh, my Odeon, local Odeon cinema in Brighton. And I've been to see all of them so far up to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And I've had an absolute hoot. But to be fair, that's the third time I've seen Honor Majesty's, Honor Majesty's Secret Service at the big screen. So, but, but the rest, I've only seen Goldfinger once on the big screen. But the rest I, I'd never seen. Doctor No from Usher of Love and Thunderball. Oh my God, Thunderball. Well, it's. I mean, we obviously know our opinions on Thunderball, but does it change? Does it change everything by being no, on the big screen? No, by no means. It doesn't repudiate a single word I've said about Thunderball. <laughs> Good. Not a single word I've said about Thunderball. But but that but the 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 issues that I have with that movie are are, f are, are just 
pale into comparison when you're watching it on the on, on pale into insignificance i should say when you're watching it on the big screen not all of them the rapey stuff i don't like of course i mean that's that that's if anything that's worse on the big screen because it's made larger but but i mean um you know all of the other stuff the pacing of the movie completely gone for me not an issue when watching the watching it on the big screen the this thing the 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 chase during the carnival which I quite find to be quite a boring chase, is not boring in the cinema at all. Um, the, the sounds, the colours, you know, the vividness of that scene. And um, uh, um, uh, Fiona Volpe, oh my God, what a woman. I mean, just what a woman. Uh, I, I mean, and all of that, there's a, there is a vibrancy and, and colour to the movie that just isn't there. And it made me wonder whether or not so much of my view on Thunderball is informed by the first time that I ever watched mm. it. And mm. it's those times I used to watch it on those grainy VHS copies that I had taped off ITV. And I wonder whether or not that sticks with you in the mind so much and you need something like this to go and sit in a cinema with a massive screen, proper sound system. I'm watching it with the, in the, with the kind of quality that was never experienced when, when you would, if you'd gone to watch it. Mm. At the cinema in 1964, 65, whenever it was, yeah, you know, it, it, and and it just it, it it kind of blew me away. I had a great, such a great time watching it, and similarly on a um, similarly from Russia with Love, I mean, I love, I mean, that obviously we love that movie, and it, it it's it's just glorious, glorious film to watch. I mean, it, the Istanbul scenes are more than anything else, but also that the the fight sequence between Connery and Grant are absolutely amazing. Um, um, but just to return to Thunderball, the, the, that final underwater sequence that everyone says is too slow. Not on the big screen, it's not. And it's truly savage. It's mm. truly savage. I mean, it's really interesting you talked about the fact that just your opinions have changed slightly, having seen it in the medium that it's intended to, because I suspect, like a lot of people here, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners, like us, some of our first experiences of Bond would have been on the telly. Um, and on a smaller mm. screen as well. And there are some films which you just know are great films, regardless of whether you're watching them on the big screen or the telly. But if you then, some of them which are on, you know, if seen in the medium they're meant to be seen in. Because I can still remember, um, you know, coming out of the cinema. I think I went to see it twice and watching The World Is Not Enough. And, you know, now I watch it and I go, that's a bit of a honker, isn't it? But actually, I remember coming out of the cinema and going, no, nah, this is a good film. Same with. Uh, more recently, Spectre as well. Mm. This is a good film. It felt like it was, you know, enjoyable. I remember we came out of it and went, yep, there's a lot we enjoyed about it. And as we've got into it, watched it several more times, watched it on smaller screens. So, yeah, Graham, I mean, do you think that's the same? If you were if you were watching it in its intended medium, it makes a bit of a difference rather than just, you know, small screen or no matter how much you try and replicate that cinema experience, it's not quite the same as, as that widescreen, you know, cinematography, everything being seen in the way it should be seen. Yeah, I think... It's it's part of the reason of cinema's success, isn't it? Uh, that time that we saw Spectre, um, th that was the third time I'd seen the film in twenty four hours because of the, <laughs> of the the strange way that my wife decided to book all the tickets in the world for it. Um, but all three of those were in ver three very different um, situations. The first time I saw it was at the Albert Hall for the premiere. The following lunchtime, I watched it at the IMAX, not in an IMAX production, but on the stupidly large screen that you get with the IMAX. And then 
the third time was with you guys in a normal cinema, um, which was the best experience out of the three of them, really. But uh, but the, they are made to to be on the big screen. This, mm. this is what the, the, these people do. This is how the actors perform in it. This is how the director um, sets it up. And this is how they're edited. They're edited to go up on a big screen for you to get as much as you can out of the experience. You can get more out of it, I suppose, after uh, it, with with video. But there is always going to be something that you're missing. Even mm. with even with home cinema systems, it, it it's there is just something there about blocking yourself off in a cinema and not engaging in anything else. It's it's far too easy to look at a phone when you're at home on the sofa, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You, it's very rare that you switch the, all the lights out, put your phones away, put any distraction away, and just sit and watch it. Um, even if it's down to having a conversation with 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 your partner, it, it, it's just so something that is different about being at home than being in a cinema. Mm. I, I think that would be true even even if you had your own dedicated cinema room. Well, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe if you were yeah. really authentic, you might be able to get bought, If you built an auditorium, yeah. albeit a relatively small one, then for the full immersive experience, you might get away with it. But that's yeah. most people don't get to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you, you cannot beat going to a cinema, really, to watch certainly those kind of movies. And, and, and these James Bond films, from the word go, were, were built from the cinema. And Doctor, I Doctor No, just the same as well. Just, just as immersive, just as impressive. And I want to say a few words again, and we've said this before about Sean Connery and his acting, much larger on the big screen, right from the word go, that guy was much better. And even you only live twice, I think a lot of people sort of say, oh, we you know he dials it in. I'm not convinced that that's a, actually a legitimate complaint about that movie. I don't think he dials that in. I think he plays the role a little bit more seasoned. And actually, for me, it was one of the weaker of the films yeah. that I've mm. seen so far, if I'm being completely honest. I know I've shouted from the rooftops about how wonderful that film is, but if I'm being completely honest with you, it was and is one of the weaker of the of the Connery films, to be fair. so And I think that maybe Connery's performance reflects that as well, if I'm being brutally honest with you. But but um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, just, just still for me, still the best James Bond film that I love. But what was interesting about that was that um, in the is that a number of the a, a, a few regular faces turning up every week to watch it like me, um, and Goldfinger was a little bit chatty because I think he had quite a few tourists, you know, in coverted <laughs> commas who turned up because it's Goldfinger and it's like, uh, but 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 on a Majesty's Secret Service there was quite a few people in there, um, and quite a few younger people, who I think had watched No Time to Die. When you say younger, you mean people in their 20s, maybe? I mean maybe? people in their 20s, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like proper young people, I would suggest. Not kids, but you no, know, young no. adults who I suspect have probably seen No Time to Die. You know, I sat next to a young couple, you know, in their 20s, I would say. Um, and I would have thought, what on earth are you going here watching a film of this venue? But then they may well have watched No Time to Die, obviously heard about, understood the references and thought, well, let's go and watch this the original mm. and, and see what the fuss is about. And the audience was super engaged in that film in a way that they weren't, say, during Goldfinger, for example. I guess as well, because Goldfinger's an incredibly familiar film. Like, yes. even if you don't, even if you've only watched Goldfinger once, you're aware of the the tropes that come out. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. You're aware of everything that's yeah. in there. Whereas on A Majesty's Secret Service, like, obviously we could probably recite most of the film you know, back back to front. But for most people, it's probably not a very mm. familiar film. So chance to see it again. It also, what you're saying, makes sense to me why 
um, you know, Eon, I'm oh, sorry, not Eon, um, you know, why everybody involved with Bond kept it back, kept no time to, to die back in the cinema because yeah. they could have very easily gone down the Marvel Disney route of even having a short release or deciding to release it straight and streaming. But yeah, having, you know, we've all obviously seen No Time to Die. I don't, uh, don't think any, have any of us seen it on the small screen yet at all? Yeah, yes. yes. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've <laughs> got a copy of it. I watched it on Christmas Day. So, I mean, again, I imagine there is a lot of difference there because I came out of, you know, I almost staggered out of No Time to Die and just went, I, I if I'd watched that, on a smaller screen to start off with, I don't think it would have yeah. done that film Agreed. any justice at mm. all. And yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense as well. And you can see why anybody involved with the production of Bond would not necessarily want to um, do a kind of streaming release mm. on there. Bond is a cinematic experience. And you can probably say there's very few um, films now that necessarily are you know you can talk about marvel but i think marvel translates well onto the small screen but it's only possibly i don't know a film such as june for example which was out relatively recently and probably you know the films of dennis Villeneuve feel like they should be on the big screen as opposed to yeah, a lot of films maybe you know can work just as well on the streaming yeah, side of things. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I wonder whether that, we'll have to think about those those Disney films. And apart from anything else, I don't think the commercials work on cinematic releases. That's yeah. why Top Gun has only just come out as well, is because the commercials just don't actually work. Disney can afford to hit, to take the hit in yeah. order to keep the things moving because they've got a big like we've got a massive narrative arc here and if we don't release these movies then they're going to mess up the scheduling of future movies mm. and they're going to because we you know we've got a, we've got a narrative arc yeah. whereas we've got a like, streaming platform that yeah. we need to have a regular and, yeah um, so we'll do this some regular content on yeah in theory we will lose money on this but we will gain more subscribers and so that they can make it work eon yeah. don't have anything like that no and and you know only in fact most studios don't have that and so they couldn't make that work anyway. But you're right, it would have been an utter travesty to, have, to, to if they had done that. And all the people who say, oh, you should have released it on streaming, well, I hope you're, you know, happy to eat some humble, humble pie there because that, that was the wrong call to make. You're entitled to your opinion, you're wrong. This one was a wrong opinion. Very wrong opinion. Mm. Um, so should we talk a bit more about experiencing, I, I think probably a few films that we have all experienced in the cinema as well because this was prime cinema-going age. I mean, for... The, uh, you know, the late 80s into the early to mid 90s um, obviously was a fascinating time for action films. You had the 80s, which were just sort of, you know, establishing a slightly different template. And we've talked about a little bit about how License to Kill was looking at your films such as Miami Vice and, and probably Beverly Hills Cop as well. You've got a lot of really great action franchises that came out and you almost have a... I, I, for me, partly, I feel like the early 90s was a very much a high point of great action films. And you also, unusually, you, you have a big gap between releases of Bond. You have a lot of question marks over Bond. So it felt kind of right that we do a little bit of a discussion about these films which kind of almost filled the gap. And I think the first one that we briefly should be be touching on is a film that, that probably filled the gap better than anything else, Graham, and that's True Lies. Uh, certainly. Certainly. James Cameron's expansive spy film, which is really just a family caper. It's a spy film in the same way that that the the Incredibles is a superhero film. It's uh, it, it is it, it it it's lovely, but it's more about the relationship that that he has with his wife. It is it's basically like what happens what happens 
at home for for a spy when he's gone when he's not out saving the world. And and it's just brilliant. And I think this was the first film to be budgeted over a hundred million dollars, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So it was. it was massive. But it, it, it made obviously it made a huge amount of money. It comes about three years after um Terminator Two, another huge film. Mm. And really the breakthrough film for CGI. Uh and in the round this time this is another thing we've got with the gap in the, in there between because when when Bond leaves off in eighty nine, CGI is not a thing, and mm. then by the time it comes back, all the big films are using CGI in some way or form. Now, ninety four, when True Lies comes out, True Lies uses uh, it quite extensively. It it it's not overly in your face in in this film, but you've got. Other films, the, the most popular other films of that year, are using CGI in different ways. So you've got The Lion King using uh, animation, digital animation, but still in a very much a traditional 2D form. And uh, you've got Forrest Gump, which is another way of, of, of using CGI in a completely different way of, 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 of storytelling. Um, but very much all those in that real mid nineties vibe, and then you get True Lies. True Lies comes along and really does. It takes the action film genre, the sort of comedy action that we've been so used to with like the Lethal Weapon franchise um, and even the Die Hard franchise, and then it adds spy on top of it. Um, you've even got within the first scene, you've got Schwarzenegger in a tux. Giving it the full, giving it the full bond treatment, and of course he's with his limited range. I'm sure we, no one's ever going to argue about that, are they? <laughs> um, but he's brilliant in it, and he is fantastic because the, this film is just made from him. And James Cameron is such a good filmmaker in this sort of thing, and it just lifts up. Considering the 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 sort of change in tone that 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 he made with the Terminator, because you got the first Terminator is a is a low budget horror film, isn't it? Mm. That's what it is. It's a, it, yeah. and whereas T two is an action romp, isn't yeah. it? It's it's still got sort of like real proper tense thriller aspects to it, but it is a big money brash romp. And True Lies takes its cues from there as far as the action's concerned. Lots of it is played for laughs. Um, you go there for the full entertainment experience, and it is just a superb film. And I really enjoyed watching it again. And you cannot buy it, or you cannot watch it on streaming platforms, can you? No, you can't. I mean, I, I actually did go out and, and order my, my co- a copy on on DVD because I was horrified to notice that it's not in my collection. Uh, and I think that I think because I must have bought the VHS. It's around that time, isn't it? It was around that yeah. time. Yeah. And then and then obviously everything everybody transitioned over to DVD over the years and I just must have just let it slip and just forgotten about it. But yeah, I went to watch it and I thought, well, it'll be on somewhere. I might have to pay a rental fee for it, I guess. Yeah. That would be annoying, but I might have to do it. But I couldn't even do that. Couldn't even so obviously it's fallen through. It's a Fox release. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a licensing thing here, because otherwise it would be on Disney Plus. But I mean it's one of those movies which is a proper sort of like summerish blockbuster. Let's reach out to as many people as possible to yep. get everyone in to make this movie work. And so it's a movie that the dads will love and the mums will love and the daughters and the sons will love. And and and, and it works really well. And so in that respect, it's a it's it's coming from the same place as as a James Bond movie, mm. big all action thriller. That's the all action movie that's you know with a sufficient amount of intrigue and all of that for everything else, humour to make. And and of course Cameron by this point. Is approaching imperial phase, 
um, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, is put together an immaculate film. And it really helps, particularly with an actor like Arnie, because you're right, Graham, he, he is somewhat limited. He's not a, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's a film star rather than, say, an actor. Um, but if you write the movie for him and you write the script for him, mm. then you've got a very good chance of being able to just like just move, just keeping within that those levels, those areas where he's where he's more than competent. Mm. Um, and and you know, and he's produced so many incredibly watchable films yeah. that you know it's a little unkind to say that he can't act. But he just his range is not yeah. is, is not great. Is I it? think you see that in those nineties films though. What they do is they is, is they bring actors in who can work with that. Yeah. So look, Jamie Lee Curtis works brilliantly as his wife, and and even Tom Arnold. You know, the, the, Tom to, Arnold is a brilliant. I mean, he's a yeah. brilliant actor, Tom Arnold. He's a great character actor to yeah. bring in and to be like like his his buddy in the film. Then yeah. it, it works so well. And 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 yeah, I just lapped it, this film. I, I I watched it again. I had to piece it together on YouTube, but I, I, I didn't. I didn't mind. I was I was watching it, I was, and there was so much in there that was, that comes flooding back. I haven't seen this film in nearly twenty years. I don't think. And and but it was lovely just to sit down and watch it. And the set pieces in it are just great. kind of good connections as well. Art Malik connection as well, isn't there? Yes, yep. yes, there is. Yeah, he's um, you know the go to. I think in certain areas when you when you have a certain description. I suspect the first one that comes through when they leave through spotlight is Art Malik. <laughs> <laughs> we need an Islamic terrorist. Uh, yeah. Art Malik, here we go. <laughs> but really well done. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it, timing of this is interesting because this comes about a year after the World Trade Center bombing. Yes. yes. So yeah, true. there is a bit of underlying sort of mm. awareness, at least anyway, the, mm. of of... Uh, terrorist activity, Middle Eastern terrorist activity on the US mainland. Mm. Um, obviously, we're a long way off 9-11, so it doesn't have that sort of seriousness or or introspection, but it is something that, yeah. well, this is something that will resonate with people. Yeah, that wasn't a, that wasn't a world-changing event. 9-11 obviously changed yeah. the whole ton of things yeah, 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 internationally, yeah. whereas the World Trade Bomb was was more of an effect, I think, domestically. Yeah. I think so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. But uh, I, I mean, the, one of the things he does well, of course, is that when it needs to get serious, it gets serious. Mm. You know, when there needs to be proper peril in this, then it does it does do that. Mm. So it's not all. So it's not the action sequences, for example, aren't necessarily played for laughs. Although, you know, when he takes the truth serum and explains <laughs> how, how he's going to escape, is is I mean, like this, you look at that and you think. If James Bond had done that, it would yeah. have been the coolest thing ever, ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. And you could totally <laughs> see a scenario. Think, well, like it could easily have done that. I mean, like, and I think that this was where it was to use the expression "parking its tanks" on James on, the, on James Bond's lawn, and like saying, and so many of us said, yeah. "You said to me," and people have said it so many times. When you said, "You said go and see True Lies," it's brilliant. He said, "It's it's it's this is exactly the kind of film that James Bond film should be," and it yeah. was, and and you were absolutely right, of course. Yeah, it's it's a film that when you look at the gap in there, it's probably the one that that bridges it because it's yeah. the closest. There's a lot of great action films, but this is the one that's closest to Bond, albeit obviously a setup and scenario that you couldn't really do with Bond unless you went in a very different direction of domestic... Uh, an interesting sequel yes. to One of Majesty's Secret Service if they'd chosen not to, to would kill have off been, Tracy. Yes. <laughs> would be a very fascinating... Um, very fascinating in different places. It also makes you, you know, now... It's uh, it's not uncommon or, you know, for to have a slightly more auteur director come in for mm. the Bond films. 
And you do wonder, you know, given Cameron, you know, you look at some of the great action films that have been created by Cameron, you know, obviously Terminator 2, Aliens, which is just a, an absolutely fantastic film, as far away from Alien as you could possibly get, but just ridiculously mm. enjoyable yeah. as well. Obviously, he's done Avatar as well, which, you know, I'm, I'm not massively a fan of, but it's, again, it's an ambitious film and one yes. that, you know, you feel can be be put into there. And you, you kind of feel that if Cameron had got his hands on a Bond film, we would have probably been coming out going, oh, that was fun, because the man knows how to direct action, knows yeah. how to pace, and also knows how to work with actors who, as, as we've said here, you know, he's done Arnie, he doesn't necessarily have the, the greatest range within there. Um, so I think you've got, a, you've got the ingredients of everything that you could need for a Bond film, but not being a Bond film within that. The idea of James Cameron doing a James Bond film would be amazing. <laughs> I, I also because I think I suspect that Cameron's probably now mature enough to, to, to go these guys at Eon like it a certain way and I'm not going to get this movie made unless I unless we're aligned mm. but I think that he's capable of being able to see something that's that, that, that would that is that would be aligned to that Eon thing and like maybe like Danny Boyle who perhaps sort of like maybe did come in this is easy to be to be critical yeah. of Danny Boyle. I mean, everybody goes in with their eyes open, and it's a it's, it's a tragedy that that movie mm. he never got to make that movie because I'm sure he would have loved doing it. But obviously, yes, you 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 have to surrender certain certain license. You have to give mm. a, you have to re- acknowledge that this is a, essentially a studio movie made a specific way. And if Barbara says that won't work, then Barbara's probably right. Yeah, and may as well be right. I she's I. Can see one problem with James Cameron doing a Bond film, and that would be rather long underwater sequences. <laughs> we know what he's like. He's got form. He does. He does. Like Thunderball, it. the extended Cameron. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we all, three hours of Thunderball. We've no. not mentioned the Abyss, have we? Which has its has its fans, but it's also got its critics. <laughs> yes. The only yeah. the only downside that well, we've got lots of you know. Let's let's hop around a bit to a, to a few others as well and again some of the films that um that have been uh, done in that kind of early 90s era and again where you've got kind of i guess again a slightly different type of star and one who's kind of being molded in the early 90s and one of those um is keanu reeves and point break is another one of those yeah it's, it's a spy film it's a very silly in some respects spy <laughs> film shall we say um but it is a it is a kind of undercover film there's a it, it's again very much of its time but and terry you've you've kind of seen it um for the first time as well for the first time yes for the first time <laughs> i know I and how are you how are you feeling after experiencing the uh the reeves and swayze adrenaline oh this reasons that that crackles that the reeves and swayze <laughs> absolutely crackles it's a i mean it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a very gay film um it, 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 i mean it's it's wonderful um yeah, I mean, it 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 still feels that kind of slight mid eighties kind of slight sort of not quite wanting to go out there. The, some of the tropes that are used there are pretty like Laurie Petty's character. Laurie Petty plays an extremely, you know, very very powerful woman, but is utilised in very traditional female role ways kind of way, and that's that that's a touch tedious. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow, so it has got a feminine energy to it, mm. very definitely, and that shows. The bank robbing sequences in that movie are pretty extraordinary, pretty amazing, and she's a clearly an, an what is an expert filmmaker. 
Um, and obviously the stunt work is, is pretty good, but it's most, it, it's got a strange energy to it. Mm. Uh, it, it's in on the one hand it's it's incredibly masculine and violent but then at the same time it's also got that kind of pushing the kind of the more of the kind of spirituality the more of the sort of like passive sort of like masculinity that that can be associated with 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 the surfing culture can be i should mm. say and it's a big you know there's there's huge riders attached to all of that shit to be honest with you um but i really in like really liked it i think i think that probably what what struck me i guess was probably that that there's a that the fact that it was made by a by a woman uh, in what is a city you know very much a, a masculine arena mm. i think that there maybe there's a degree of you could you could look foreshadow that to golden eye and think about you know the role of of women within within the james bond franchise i mean you've got bob broccoli pretty much stepping up and owning the franchise at this point you've got judy dench coming in you know, you've got strong, you've got quite strong female characters in GoldenEye, which we will talk about. And I, and I think, and I was think when I was watching Point Break and when I watched Speed as well, I was thinking about these things about GoldenEye when I was thinking about these, watching these movies to try and see whether or not I can draw any threads. I suspect there are none, but you know, it's really more a question of how things culturally are changing around this time and, and, mm. and, and what, what can we see that maybe we can draw some kind of comparisons or commonality with. I mean, it's a good job that they never asked Roger Moore to do any surfing sequences in there. He'd have been brilliant at it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like he was at the ski sequence in The yeah. New to a Kill. Yeah. What are you talking about, Gary? Yeah. It would have been exactly the same. It would have been exactly the same, just as good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only it would have had the thing from Ski Sunday on behind <laughs> <laughs> Um, again, like it's it's one of those films that um, is very much of its era. And again, when you've kind of got these action, you know, again, uh, to me as well, a bit like True Lies could have probably quite easily become a franchise if they really, really wanted to push it. Point Break as well, you know, obviously it kind of ends ends as it ends in there, and I'm not going to do any kind of spoilers. Yeah, no, Graham's not seen it. Uh, so, Graham should watch it. Yeah, you, you yeah, absolutely yeah. should. It's, but again, it's old, but it's worth <clears throat> watching. Cool. You could definitely get a, you know, you could definitely get a franchise with Keanu Reeves' character after that, and obviously he comes back and, and does the Matrix, which is is probably a bit more of a forerunner of the Marvel side of things mm. um, in terms of where where it goes. But yeah, you've got these. Um, yeah, you know, you've you've got these films which are very much of their time, but could have quite easily, if if the studios had wanted to, started to build out some franchises from them. And Graham, you kind of wonder how different it would have been in in Bondland if any of these films, which um, you know, started to get a bit of traction, uh, or, or had these you know big films like Point Break, um, True Lies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, if they'd really decided to have a go at it with these characters, given how well they did at the box office, you wonder how Bond might have responded when they finally got Brosnan across the line from contractual wranglings. When we get to this stage, we're already quite used to to multiple sequels of, of films. You've like Lethal Weapon, uh, Die Hard, Beverly Hills Cop. They're they're all going up to three, four films. But again, you get to that point where you've got to change the actor. Or mm. you've got to bring new actors in, mm. and or that... just if Tom Cruise just keep him going. Yeah, yeah, or just keep him going. Yeah, <laughs> just just defrost him every time you want to make a film, <laughs> uh, or just get out another clone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that. But that, that that's how that's how the Mission Impossible um, franchise has gone. Now, Mission Impossible was just after GoldenEye, wasn't it? It was ninety-seven Mission yeah. Impossible. Yeah, yeah so we've so, not included that in our. No, in our, so that's no. that, that's not here. But there's there's plenty that. 
where they did change the actor, like the the the, the Tom Clancy, the Tom Clancy's. Yeah. Now, now, for better or for worse, this is what they tried to do, wasn't it? This is this is really the closest you get to mm. them Hollywood trying to do Bond, completely Jack po- Ryan. Yeah, yeah, completely Jack- po-faced about it. But um, yeah, no, yeah. I mean Tom Clancy's the wrong. Yeah, Tom Clancy novels are the wrong choice because he's way too serious. And 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 you know, if if they had said right, we're going to do a we're going to carry on from Hunt for an October and just like maybe get Alec Baldwin back in to play Jack Ryan and maybe, but Hunt for October is an amazing film, one of the best films ever made. But Patriot Games, by contrast, is a disaster, an absolute disastrous film. Um, uh, but I remember going in to watch Patriot Game in the cinema and being really optimistic and thinking. You know, this is good because we maybe we've got a new Bond because it was possible. I think at the time we were entertaining mm. thoughts that Bond might never come back, yeah. and we were thinking, well, maybe Jack Ryan could, you know, can you know, it. fill that fill that gap. And we came out two hours later thinking that was a dumpster fire. And, watching that again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a shame as well because you know, Hunt for Red October, as you say, one of one of the best films of the decade, and and one of the best action films as well. Um, obviously, it has the Connery connection in there, albeit, um, you know, playing with a very convincing Russian accent uh, in that film. Um, but yeah, it, it's one thing that Hunt for Red October has, Terry, is it's a spy film. It is. A spy and film. But we know when Bond really plays to its spy roots, generally you're in for a pretty good movie when they try to reconnect with a little bit of the spy element of, of Bond. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, it's based on Tom Clancy's novels, and he's a he's a spy genre, sort of a political spy genre. So that so that will work nicely. I mean, and and <clears throat> it has a preponderance of British actors in there, which is quite nice, which mm. is what you want to see, isn't it? Um, but I mean, it's just a it's just a really nicely put together movie on a you know what is a relatively because it doesn't have the massive spectacular action set pieces. But it does have underwater sequences. <laughs> it does have underwater sequences, <laughs> to be fair. But it doesn't have people endlessly chasing after each other in, 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 in sweatsuits and firing, you know, swimsuits and firing harpoon yeah. guns. As long as you get the idea of what a crazy Ivan is, then I'm sure you, it's, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, but and I think, I mean, it's, a, it's I hesitate to even call Humphrey Red October an action film. I think it's, it really mm. is more of a spy film. Yeah. But it has some 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 action beats in it. It's in, an action you know. thriller, isn't yeah. it? I suppose. Yeah, isn't it? and it's a, we could say it's a war film, really. It is, be a, a cold, way, war, cold film. war film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because it's got elements of that, and everyone likes a good submarine war movie, you know. And mm. and and it and it fills it, it fills again it fills that hole really nicely. I mean, think it's John McTiernan as well, who just like knows how to put together a movie like this. It's it's there's a there's a there's a there's a build quality and finish to it, which mm. is which is really good. And Alec Baldwin. You know, a young Alec Baldwin, you know, playing that role really, really well. James L. Jones is the kind of M, you know. I mean, it, it, it was setting itself up beautifully for what actually could have been a, a really watchable franchise. But, of course, Alec Baldwin isn't, isn't the star of the film. <laughs> Sean no, Connery, Sean is, the Connery is the star of the film. And I think that's... The, <laughs> yeah. And then maybe this is where things just go terribly, because maybe yeah. deep down Jack Ryan just isn't a strong enough or an interesting enough character as yeah. James Bond. James Bond is like an amazing character and comfortably the... Other, you know the focal point of a James Bond film, whereas, mm. whereas maybe the better Jack Ryan stories are really more about the other characters in there. I don't know. I'm not. I think I've read one Jack Ryan book, Tom Clancy book. They're very long and very technical. I think that's part part of the problem for me as well is that you can, you know, obviously Bond comes from a, a literary background, and a lot of the the kind of films, you know, action films as well, do quite often come from from books and then just kind of built out and and put a vision onto the screen, but. 
Bond, like with Fleming, Graham, you've got Bond who... Fleming has a really clear idea of who this person is. It's very well represented. You just even have to read a couple of the novels to get a sense of if you've got actually a character with who might not have depth, but has a lot of depth in terms of how he's been written rather than, you know, up top, because you know, you know, he's a very superficial person, but you've also got that bit where you know Fleming's got most things worked out about him. But you've so many of the other action thrillers that you've got of this time is that, for me, I think Terry touched on it there, your leading character, your leading man, just isn't quite interesting enough to be able to to sustain multiple franchises. Somehow Mission Impossible has, even though I wouldn't say Ethan Hunt is, is the most no. interesting. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's more about the kind of the big action set pieces. But And you've obviously got Tom Cruise as a star in there. But when you've got sort of a different setup... Potentially, maybe it was only Arnie who could have probably seen it through because you you had that element of, um, you know, you had the element of the star also bringing in with the great script and the great characterization that sat behind there. Whereas a lot of the other action films, um, you know, they're nice, but they don't have a character that necessarily you kind of warm to or relate to particularly well. And certainly if they got killed off at the end, you wouldn't stagger out going, what have I just seen? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very true. I'm thinking um, Mel Gibson's character in in, in Lethal Weapon, um, or or Axel Foley. Um, mm. you know, nice developed characters. Uh, a lot is relying on what you know about the sort of people they are. Mm. Um, so you bring that in, and I suppose that's that, that's commonly used in cinema because you've only got a short time to tell a story. Mm. And Bond has that to some respects. All of his all of his um, snobbery comes from his privilege, his 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 class, and and the way he carries himself. And that's part of who he is. And it's very difficult to 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 get that from another station in life, especially. Mm from an American perspective as well, because this is all very, very British things that, that he, he, he brings across. Um, yeah. Arnie's character, Harry Trasker, is, is, is what he is. He's, uh, he, his cover is, is, is a salesman and a software salesman, isn't it? Uh, and, and, and that sort of whole sort of like very, very grey, uh, bland cover story. It, in True Lies, the way that they... they push the story through really quickly very interesting just to hear you say about the whole looking ahead to the to, to the, the the marvel universe stuff i looked at true lies and i thought this this is what this is what phase one of of, of the marvel universe was doing 15 years later mm. pretty much a similar sort of storytelling got that action adventure with the comedy in there as well keeping it light keeping it big and bold and doing everything that you need to do to 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 just entertain mm, as wide an audience as, possible. as as wide an audience as mm. possible hitting those sort of, sort of yeah. disney switches all the time really really difficult to do and, and be good yeah you mm. know convincingly good because you you look at most action adventure stories in that came out of the 80s and to the 90s they were just having a few laughs with 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 a load of explosions in the background Schwarzenegger needed this sort of stuff because he was getting comedy roles as well at this sort of time sort mm. of things like kindergarten cop and last uh, action hero, last action hero, yeah, that's honks so. though. Yeah, that, that jingle all the way, jingle all the um, uh, twins, junior, twins. Uh, yeah. these sort of things. So, it, it, so I mean, he's getting these sort of like family friendly films. You look at something like Red Heat, 
Red Heat honks. Mm. Red, yeah, Red Heat. Heat's a bad film. It is an awful film. Yeah. That is. And, uh, and those are the directions, and that's more of the sort of direction that action adventure could have gone in mm. uh, into the 90s. And it, it did. There was loads of straight-to-video stuff that was just like that. Um, it, it just had a bigger budget, most of which went to Arnie for making that film. But. Yeah, and I mean, Red Heat has this distinction of being able, with is that it was it was shot on location in Moscow, which yeah. is, which was something of a first for a Hollywood movie. But, yeah. but I mean, it was no, you're right. I went to see that the pictures with great excitement, and it was it was pretty average, it was bang average actually. I'd like nice to point out James Horner. There's a great Arnie film, which you know, obviously the uh, the setting could never be a Bond film, but had so many Bond elements in it for me and that's total recall which yeah. is like you know obviously sci-fi but it's got those elements of, of oh it's got intrigue yeah it? so yeah, much no, going right. on in there right okay i wondered about whether or not we should have been talking about total recall because it turns up i i i, I, I researched a few listicles as well about action movies and that ranks quite highly and i thought wait it's a sci-fi film or is this really what we're but actually you're right it does have those same those same elements and is in his worthy of discussion. You've got megalomaniac. You've got yeah. you know yeah. you've got a lot of kind of hidden identities going on yeah. there. You've got the protagonist trying to figure it out, and you've got some fantastic action sequences as well. You certainly, do. it's mm, yeah. you know it's again probably one of the defining action films yeah. from that particular era as yeah, well. No, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, it's been such a long time since I've seen Total Recall. I, it, it, it's it's worthy of a watch again. I mean, I, this is turning into a bit of an Arnie podcast, but I mean, <laughs> I'm also thinking about, it's a little bit predates this, but I'm thinking about Running Man as well. Yeah, this is a yeah. really immensely enjoyable enjoyable yeah. a, a, action film. Well, albeit, it know. is important to talk about Arnie at this time because he, he is dominating. He's mm. in these big, big, big films that are, that are filling the gap. Mm. Um, yes, yeah. all the way up to Batman, he dominates this this gap between between License to Kill and Goldeneye, mm. and and it really informs what action films are all about. That scene in True Lies, in the bathroom fight scene. That do you not? You know, no one's telling me that, that that they weren't influenced <laughs> when they did the opening sequence to Casino Royale. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm certainly not going to disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. And this, 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 so much comes off of this, this film. Mm. Even Austin Powers, come and look. You've got, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got yeah. Tia Carrera in there. You've got Tom Arnold. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, and Charlton Heston t- t- turns up with an eye patch. I mean, he, he makes a great Nick Charlton Fury. Charlton Heston, d- 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 and an his eye name patch. is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's it. It is a it's a golden era. Yeah, for for action films. Um, Graham, how much do you think it, it became a golden era for action films simply because there was a vacuum? Uh, there was a bond bondless vacuum in here. You have the defining action hero, you know, albeit one who's potentially wobbled towards the kind of mid-80s with some of the films, but you've got, you know, one of the great icons of cinema is suddenly not there. And as Terry said, you don't know if he's going to be coming back because of all the legal wrangling that's going on there. So suddenly you've got, uh, you know, what would normally be every couple of years, a new Bond release, you've suddenly got a a real desert in there. and you've suddenly got Hollywood going, hang on a minute, these action films are really playing well and we can justify putting big bucks into these. I, I wonder if Hollywood actually thought that James Bond was relevant, that it was disappearing because it, his time had come. Mm-hmm. Talking end of Cold War, there, that was one thing. You've always got the 80s, it was questionable enough then with the with the AIDS scare. So there was a lot of things about like, you know, 
jumping into bed with with, with, with anybody. Um, it, yeah, it that was, permissiveness as well. Yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 that was that back dialed then. back. Mm. By the time the nineties come around, that's sort of opening up again, and you and you start seeing. I mean, like U.S. cinema in particular starts to get a lot more sexual in there. In there, you get uh, films. You know, with, with lots of gratuitous boobs in there, which was great. <laughs> yeah, if you're a boob fan, yeah. Yeah. then it was great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they loved boobs back then. <laughs> um, so, but I, I think the, the, there was always this thing about Bond, and the reason why Bond is so easy to parody is because it, it always runs this very narrow line. Because um, on one side, you've got spy film. On the other side, you've got action and adventure and a little bit of comedy. With referring back to true lies, it walk it walks that line really well, mm. um, and, and it's not afraid to take the piss out of itself. It has lots of jokes at, at, at its own self, but it's not taking the mick out of the genre at all. It's just it's just saying, look, we've got the capacity in this film to have a laugh mm. while we're doing this. Mm. The whole like low battery thing, and that when when yeah, yeah. it's it, it, it's little touches like that that are are funny and but still don't detract you and stop stop you from taking the film seriously. Um, so and I think that's what what Bond always does, and, and that's why it's so easy to parody. It's so mm. easy to, to for people to like like take take the mick out of it or or to come up with something that is just completely ludicrous. It's it's easy to parry, but, but parody, but Terry, it's quite hard to actually. Do uh, recreate Bond. There's actually probably quite a few films, action films that have tried, or at least kind of there's a little bit of thought of hey, we can establish an action franchise here. But it's it's really really hard to do what Bond does, as as Graham's just described. You've got the spy, you've got the action, and you've got a little bit of caper and comedy in there. Mm. On paper, shouldn't be hard, but so many other um, you know action films. Just, you know, they might be great action films, but they don't necessarily land in that part that Bond does. Yeah, I mean, I think because Bond is is such a rich character going all the way back to the the, the, the immediate post-war years, that it's it's it, it is such a well well-defined character before he even committed him to celluloid to begin with, that that gives the filmmakers a tremendous advantage. Obviously, developing that genre of fiction in the 1960s when there wasn't much else of that going on around also gives them a huge advantage. Mm. They've got the brand awareness, you know, the brand value going into the, the, the more competitive 80s and 90s where Hollywood are looking at Bond and thinking, we can, why, don't, why can't we get some of that back? But the, the American approach, of course, is, is, is you know, probably going to be be, they'll be looking at trying to develop more blue collar uh, characters, more working class characters than 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 um, than the British would do, because I think that there is there is a, a strand of of American aesthetic and sentiment that looks at blue collar you know people and and, and like seeks to glorify them and to glamorize them in a way that you don't really get that much mm. over over here tends to be our middle class and our upper classes who tend to play the heroic roles over here this is a massive generalization but but in, i think that there's some some something in there i mean I, and i mean john mcclain i think is a is a, yeah. is a good example of yeah. that you know and and uh, but the the disadvantage i mean a extremely successful franchise, a diehard fan, but impossible to imagine anyone apart from Bruce Willis playing the role of of John McClane. 
Um, Mm. because he defined it so well in a way I suppose people would have thought about the same thing as as Connery as well Um, and and that's why George Lazenby jarred with so many people at the time contemporary audiences at the time and Roger Moore as well jarred because they just couldn't see past it so maybe they might have done and maybe they will maybe there will be Mm. new Die Hard movies because because obviously you know that era is passing on but Mm. But I, they may not have thought of it in those terms and thinking we're not looking to create a, a, a character that will reach out into the decades and still be making movies, but we are looking to make a series of four or five mm. good, solid blockbuster films that will be good fun to watch and make us tons and tons of money. And I'd say, yeah, when you look Martin Riggs, John McClane, to an extent Jack Ryan, although I don't like those films, these have been successful forays into that mm. and, 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 have, and have worked very well. And yeah, obviously Arnie plays a big role in that, as does, as does Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson. One of the things that is quite interesting about this, and I think this is worth taking a few more minutes to, to kind of talk about as well, in that kind of, you talk about the different types of class that sit within there. And obviously, British, uh, being British, we know how obsessed this country is with class, whereas America very much kind of sits with the underdog and, and everything else. And when you look at the heroes that come through, yeah, they're, they're kind of they're quite often working class policemen seem to yeah. be the kind of or, you know, people who, who kind of sit in that working class area. And then if you do look forward to post Goldeneye and you've got Mission Impossible, you've got two things there which none of the others had. One which is, is that kind of established brand awareness of what Mission Impossible is. It's a very loved, um, you know, franchise from TV days and it lends itself well into there. But equally, if you look at, um, I would probably say, uh, the Ethan Hunt character that Tom Cruise plays, he is definitely not trying to pretend to be a, an everyday underdog at all in there. He comes at it as well with, um, you know, not necessarily saying that, that snobbery in there, but he comes through as a, as a seasoned professional, as somebody who is there on merit as opposed to has just happened to find themselves into a, into a situation. And I wonder if that's maybe why, again, you know, you've got... Because the longer that you go on with an underdog... If you look at the Die Hard films and those increase as they get increasingly ridiculous as they get through to to the most last one, you've you've kind of there's only so far that you can build up that person in an unexpected place at the wrong time. Whereas with True Lies, with Mission Impossible, you've got that point whereby they're already there, they're established, you know who they are. They don't, you can carry on with them because you know that's what they do. They've not suddenly found fell into a job and become a different person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bond never looks out of place where wherever he is. You know, yeah. He can go around the world, and he's always going to walk into the reception of the swankiest hotel, and his regular room will be available for him. <laughs> yeah, usually. Yeah, and, and and it's and and those are things that you can't you can't get. I mean, of course you can get you can you can you can have that with anyone uh, that if you if you develop the character well enough. And and Harry Trasker could have had that mm. if, if, yeah. if we'd had more films of that. Then then we it would have it would have been able to 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 do that. I was looking forward to the sequel. I've got to yeah. be honest. I was really at the end because we they think about because the it's the beautiful ending. They they, they end with the dance. Yeah, know, and 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 it's the fact that they're now a partnership, and you're just thinking this is going to be great. I can't wait for the next film I'm sure there will be there must be I mean this film has been mm. a massive hit it's going and it's brilliant there's going to be a sequel of course as we know it it, it never happened but but yeah that that could have been you know a bit of a golden franchise for for a while and a husband and wife mm. you know sort of like new James Bond situation would have been would, would have been very different and yeah I mean who knows where James Bond would have gone if they'd have if 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 that had actually continued on because I mean it would have they would have 
James Bond is not afraid to look at other stuff that's going on oh, around yeah, him and, 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 yeah. and ape it, frankly, yeah. and, 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 and do it. So, so they would do it. Just you, you're also in America. You've got that. You've got that kind of ex special forces trope, don't you? Mm. Yes. Because obviously America has the benefit of having fought in for the benefit of storytelling these kind of things. They have fought in many wars, you know, <laughs> and so you know, so you've always got that. So you can you can also run the counter to this. You could have the working class thing, but you can also have the working class special forces you know, mm. who was in the Green Berets or or what have mm. you. And obviously, we 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 know. Graham, I'm sure you're the same guy. Commando, I think he's yeah. slightly, slightly before what we're talking about. Nevertheless, hugely informs these movies. Yeah. Commando, I think, massively informs these movies because it's it's again that kind of working class ex special forces, you know, expert, you know, who's who's reluctantly called into action, mm. um, and and hilarity, and hijinks, and extreme violence ensues, and it's it's <laughs> it's wonder, it's wonderful stuff. It actually feels like as well to to kind of almost go a little bit further back in time. The idea of of what the American hero is versus necessarily what the the kind of British hero is, or the the hero that's kind of molded in in the Bond mode. When you were talking, I actually started thinking of going all the way back to to John Wayne in the the cowboy films, which you can see that line that's going all the way through, you know, the classic Wayne Westerns, right through then to the, you know, the kind of the working class, you know, establishing themselves, fighting against the system. And that's all present in there. Yeah. And that's something that that is part of American cinema, whereas oh, totally. British yeah. British and European cinema plays in a slightly different space within there. You don't necessarily you can't necessarily pull off being um that kind of American style because when you look at some of the stuff that comes out of of you know Britain and elsewhere, it couldn't you struggle to see how it could be Americanized because it's just got too much yeah. of of kind of that that British sensibility or, you know, in some cases a European sensibility. If you took a film, again, a very different type of film, if you took a film like Leon, for example, which was, again, another one of those big action films in in the kind of early mid-90s, yeah. um, you look at that and you go, yeah, it's set in America, but you, you can't see that working as an American That's a European film. film. It, it is yeah. a European film. Yeah, that's, that's just set, set in the United that. States. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and with a typically French anti-hero yeah, uh, thing going on there. Jean Reno is a is but is is a villain, mm. but 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 we love him and he is the hero. In well, this, see, this is another great thing we have in the early nineties as well is this emergence of this very sort of indie style films coming yes. out, mm. yeah. and you've got two of the mass the, the hugest ones we haven't even mentioned yet, uh, and because they're not action films, but where, where, how do you do you put them? And you've got Reservoir Dogs and and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, two massive films. Um, yeah. Hit right at the at the core market of Bond, um, but they're not Bond films. And where does Bond sit with those sort of with those, those sort of films? Yeah, I wonder how much effect. I wonder if they would have looked at anything that Tarantino as well. Those two Tarantino movies and wondered what to get out get get from them. I mean, I mean, it's difficult even thinking about from the narrative or from the storytelling perspective yeah. because it's so long. Both of those movies are so non-linear and like. James Bond is ruthlessly linear. Yeah. All of those movies are just like, you know, just like they are like one action set piece yeah. leading to the next, leading to the next until the the, the, the ferocity, the, I suppose, mm. is there because yes. that that informs lots of films after lots of lots of what you see in Bourne probably comes yes. uh, is influenced by uh, uh, Tarantino. But Tarantino's dialogue, of course, his script yeah, writing is, course, is, yeah. is 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 immense. 
And I suppose you could think then you could look at the at the the quippy work, quick the, the one liners from the from the James Bond movies and 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 they seem quite pedestrian by comparison to to Tarantino. Yeah. But it is yeah right. It's wrong to 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 not include those and it's a, we we should probably have given them a little bit more thought. But you're right because they don't really fit into that style. I mean, if Tarantino made a James Bond film, he'd want to take it all the way back to the 1960s, wouldn't he? Mm. Probably the closest one he's made is Jackie Brown. I was just which thinking, is, yeah. you know, is, is probably one of his more overlooked ones, but it's probably one of my favourites because mm. it has that element in there of, of, again, working with characters, but it has a very kind of fast-paced plot that goes within there. Yeah. It's probably one of his more traditional type a more traditional film i'm thinking about also luc besson as yeah. well and, and 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 i wonder whether or not there's more mileage there i mean i'm thinking of subway and nikita as well and the fifth element uh, the fifth element and <laughs> of course leo yeah you know and and i mean this guy had come over to america and 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 you know would done i think the fifth element's a few years later actually anything about 97 none yeah. like that yeah but 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 some of the action sequences, the car chase at the beginning of Subway, for example, mm. is just like is is super super spectacular. And then these are the things that I think that, that Eon, that Barbara Broccoli, and Michael G. Wilson are looking at and thinking that the technical aspects of what they're where they're, mm. they're moving things forward. Tech, True Lies more than just a, a an extremely watchable movie, but like has some astonishing action sequences in it that you look at and go, well, you know, mm -hmm. we all need to be better than this if we want to, if we want to come back in and do this again. We, we, that's the level. Of, and I think actually GoldenEye responds to all mm. of these challenges really, really well. We could talk about it in the next podcast when we do. Yeah. Uh, but, but they are laid down, Hollywood lays down some significant narrative and acting and, and, and technical challenges to the James Bond franchise during its absence. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, it's all the better for it. In many ways, you wonder what would have happened if they'd just plodded on, you know, mm. would they have just plodded on? I mean, what would have, perhaps, or that it was probably unpleasant for all concerned, the hiatus, not least of which the production crew who relied upon it for work. But I mean, it, but, but it, 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 perhaps on look at it, it was a, it was a, it was good that they had that break. Mm. They could have a look around and see what, what everyone else was doing and go, right. Okay. Because hmm. you, I mean, and again, I know that we'll get into this when we do the Brosnans, but while Goldeneye came back in with a bang, you then have an interesting point afterwards where they try and work out what direction they want to take Brosnan and the franchise in. And you're suddenly playing in a space where there's a lot of other action going on around there. There's an appetite for these movies. Bond is not necessarily the top dog in. And you've also lost some of the traditional enemies that Bond would have in there. And I wonder how, and this is something I'm sure we will discuss going forward, but I wonder how hard the production company, um, so Eon, and I wonder how the scriptwriters, tough they found it, to try and go up against a lot of um, films from Hollywood that were doing what Bond did, or targeting the same audience as Bond, but probably doing it a little bit better once you get through to the latter of the Brosnan films as well. Yeah, well, we, we, we've got conversations to be had about mm. the Brosnan film when we get there because it, 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 it does go in a, in a direction. If I may just go back, something's just popped into my hand, again, going back to Luc Besson. Of course, Eric Serra, the composer, worked very closely with Luc, Luc Besson and Eric Serra was commissioned to do the GoldenEye soundtrack. So, so there, I think that there's a definite yeah. technical and, and creative link with, with those Besson. I reckon they looked at those movies and went, you because they were European films, you know, yeah. you know, and and I think that 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 they would have identified strongly with those. But yeah, we've got 
you know, the, the Brosnan era is really, really lumpy. I mean, uh, GoldenEye is a bit like Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It's sort of like there's a specific direction we're taking this franchise. Oh, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll change that one. And they bottled it. Yeah. And they decided to do something different. And Tomorrow Never Dies is, is, is a very different kind of film, I think, tonally to, to, to GoldenEye. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, well, anyway, well, we will enjoy having these, these conversations when, when we get to them. We, we will. certainly will. But, yeah. Graham, let's, let's kind of wrap up a little bit. In terms of the early 90s action films and the ones that fills that gap in your in your bondless life during that phase where what were your favorites that cut them out and if you were kind of you know if you were doing something similar to what you did with all the bonds watching them all back to back which would be the ones that you'd be uh pulling off the shelf to uh to put into the dvd player well the the the, the big test is it's 10 o'clock in the evening you're flicking through the channels and itv4 has just started the films and do you stay up to watch it do you stay up or do you or do you think ah oh, i'm gonna go to bed in half hour we mentioned them all really i mean the interesting speed was on the other week yeah. gave it about 20 minutes and i thought i could really get into this it's been ages since i've seen this but i didn't i went to bed a couple of months ago hunt for red october was on the telly i totally stayed up and watched yeah. that. <laughs> i totally watched that i watched the hell out of that and the same with, uh, well, with True Lies, if it was ever on the turn. If it was ever on. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. clearly some issue there. It's clearly it's clearly some an issue. issue there with yeah. the licensing issue with yeah. that movie. So, yeah, that would that would be, be something there. But as well, I mean, it's been years since I saw T2. So, um, and I'm sure that, that that is a film worth revisiting at some point. Mm. But there is just so much in that. It's a, it's a real. It, there, there are some really, really, really good films in that era. Um, and I, I, I said it, I think, on the previous podcast about how it's where cinema gets its confidence back again. I think mm. because I think it goes through the eighties seeing video as the enemy, and then then almost sort of like giving up and get, and just going straight straight to video, and then all of a sudden they get the confidence back, they get the budgets back. Mm. You couldn't imagine a film like that being made, uh, True Lies being made in the mid-80s. They just wouldn't have had the bravery to put that amount of money into it. Mm. They wouldn't have had the technical ability to do it. As no, well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. This is the weird thing about yeah. Hollywood because they had all the money in the world. Yeah. But they could never make a movie, an action movie, with the build quality of a James Bond yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they just, I mean, and I think because that they built together, James Bond had built together, Eon had assembled a, an ensemble of a production team yeah. and Stuntman who really really knew what yeah. they were doing and actually that's very very hard to do and i think a lot of hollywood you're right i think they were embattled by by the video thing and the yeah. television thing and didn't have the confidence to spend that kind of money mm. and push the boat out and and you can understand why actually because there's a statistical probability that most of those mm. movies would have failed because yeah. let's face it most and, movies and do fail you yeah. talk about the stunts as well and then just as we kind of finish up i think one of the few films that does managed to land that really well because you know bond is notorious for having some very very impressive stunt work you mean even just the last podcast we've talked about license to kill and the um you know the stunt work in yeah. the oil tanker um fight at the end that is an incredible piece of cinema that is done through stunt you've then got cgi you've then got green screen come in but you do have a film such as point break where you've actually got you know, Swayze doing a lot of his stunts there, mm. own stunts as well. You've got these, a few of the films that are, that are trying to bring that confidence in. And then once you get a little bit further on, and again, if you leap forward, you've got 
the likes of establishing franchises such as Mission Impossible, which makes heavy use of CGI. You've then establishing other kind of action franchises like, you know, Men in Black, for example, that, that comes out in the late 90s, whereby it's all CGI. And again, I wonder how much that kind of Bond looks at that and goes, mm, should we be trying to look in there? What do we do? And then you end up with uh, invisible cars and ice palaces yes, and die indeed. another day, which is yeah. a bit of a shame. Um, Terry, what are your... Um, what ones will keep you glued to ITV4 at 10.30? Yeah, it's home for around October for me, Clive. Uh, I mean, I've always been... A, I always love that movie when that when that film comes on and I will always watch it. It might well be Speed. I would like to just quickly mention Speed because I watched that for the first time yesterday as well. And this is a... There's a, a, there's a bit of a Keanu Reeves black hole in my views because I was, went through a period of time when I didn't particularly enjoy Keanu Reeves films. And, 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 uh, and, I, and I just gave those movies a miss. The, the glorious thing about Speed, and more I think about it, is, is this high-octane movie on a bus, mm. you know. And, like, actually, looking back on it, thinking most of this stunt work is actually pretty rudimentary, but you've been able to inject so much peril into the, the, the setup mm. is so perilous that actually all you're doing is that it's just a bus that's just, like, knocking a few, like, windows. Soundtrack's pretty good. And the soundtrack's great. <laughs> but they're all just doing is knocking over some bullards and driving around <laughs> at an airport. That's actually all you're doing, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, you've managed to inject all this peril and excitement into it. You know, Sandra Bullock, Keanu Reeves, brilliant. All, I mean, like, so much. Mm. It's great. Dennis Hopper, brilliant. You know, so all of those. So I, I really admire that kind of, because that's actually quite, quite a low-budget movie. But it's got... The, the Bond notes in it. It's got a cracking mm. pre-credit sequence in it, even though it's actually not a pre-credit sequence. <laughs> the elevator, the hell, the elevator thing. Yeah, is brilliant. Oh yeah, straight out of James Bond in yeah. my book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. really, very, very good film. So uh, that film comes on the telly again. I'm totally watching the hell yeah. out of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is superb, isn't it? It, it, it those sequences and also as well is it. Public transport. It's it's mm. like anyone who gets public transport will know the perils and and and, mm. and, and jeopardy of it. But uh, yeah, level it up. But of course, what it did as well was it, it started a trope, didn't it? I mean, people refer back to. It. They made a Father Ted episode out of <laughs> it that did. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's such. A, I mean, like the idea, the setup. You think about it, that's ridiculous. But then when you they 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 do it, and again. Like James Bond, take an absurd situation, yeah. but you do it with authenticity to make it serious, yeah. and people will believe it. Have laughs, yeah, but yeah. have yeah. those laughs. I would, and, yeah. I would say it's almost a forerunner, to be honest. Of and you can see elements in then as you kind of go much further forward in time of all the Jason Statham movies, yeah. which are... It's crank. Yeah, yeah, crank. yeah, crank. I've got a yeah. lot of time for Jason Statham movies. Oh, yes. You'll they are... No argument here, Chum. No <laughs> argument here, they, Chum. They are a very... I don't know if you quite call them a guilty pleasure, but they're certainly a pleasure to to sit down. Again, if you've got ITV4 and Jason Statham movie comes on, you probably go... You know what? The, I'm the probably going to sit here two and watch crank movies are brilliant. Transporters 1 and 3 are brilliant. 2, less so... But I mean, like, I mean, I mean, and if you haven't seen the Meg, <laughs> the Meg is just. I mean, that the there's two reasons why. I mean, like the the Meg outgrossed Solo, which is one reason to celebrate the glory of of the Meg. But it is such a cheeky ass film, 
and they get away with it. It's it's absolutely brilliant, the Meg. I love yeah. that film. There's, there's an awful lot we could talk about in other areas as well. And I'll, <laughs> I'll also mention his, his turn in Spy as well, oh, which, yes. which is yeah, just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm sure we could probably even do an entire episode on that film as well, because it's, uh, it's certainly one of my favourites. But yeah, I think we will wrap up there. And I think, you know, this is certainly one that I would love our listeners to actually, um, you know, actually tweet us or you know at odd job pod um and actually tell us what your favorite early 90s yeah. films are because i i think you know what there's a lot of getting into debates with people who are wrong on twitter but i think in this you're not going to get any wrong answers there no. are no wrong answers no. here there is only pure joy of 90 to 95 action films that have come out in that period. And I think we could, I mean, we could easily be talking for another hour on this. I'm sure everybody else has got their favourites within there. But I think, you know, if we're coming into it, True Lies, Hunt for Red October feel like the ones that we yeah. would be coming into as, as those ones that filled the void in our life of Bond. It would be period. interesting to hear from Tom Clancy fans. If there yeah. are any Tom Clancy fans listening, because they've been a bit unkind to Patriot Gaze, it would be really interesting if there are any drop Jack Ryan fans who've got some Any big fans of Clear and Present Danger. Yeah, yeah, please, by all means, make yourself known. <laughs> some of no all yeah. 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 yeah, maybe yeah. maybe all the Tom Clancy stands have turned off by this stage. Yeah, maybe so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we'd be really interested in, 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 in hearing your views about this, because I'm sure that many of you have seen these movies and are quite well familiar with them. We may well have very clear opinions, so please do not... Um, see, we were on Twitter and Facebook. Maybe, maybe Facebook, maybe on this occasion, because it would allow you to be a bit more nuanced. Yes, a bit more nuanced and erudite as well in terms of Indeed. your opinions on this. So yes, um, clear and present opinions. I think this uh, <laughs> this comes into. Um, so thank you very much, dear listener. I hope you've enjoyed um, our trip through the mid '90s action film or early to mid '90s action films. We almost certainly have, and I kind of have a feeling that uh, you know. Tonight, when we're turning on the TV, we'll be going straight to ITV4 to see what is on there. And we're probably going to watch the shit out of whatever it is. <laughs> uh, hope you enjoy the same as well. Do go watch the shit out of your favourite uh, mid, mid to early 90s action films. Let us know what your favourites are. And The Odd Job Pod will be back as we move on to the next phase of Bond, Pierce Brosnan's canon. Goodbye. 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 I could have told you.